This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We're switching gears. Have you ever experienced shortness of breath? It can come on suddenly for a whole variety of reasons, or it can be a chronic condition caused by illnesses like asthma or COPD. How dangerous is it and how to recognize signs and symptoms and what to do about it? We are going to talk to our house doctor, Zachary Levine. First, let me give you the numbers again, because he's going to take your calls and questions. 416-360-0740 or toll-free. 1-866-744-740. Again, we're talking about shortness of breath, or, uh, you know, we'll probably take whatever your question you might have. Zach, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Uh, excellent. Thanks. The weather Great. is beautiful. Great. So uh, shortness of breath, uh, you, there are all kinds of reasons you can have acute shortness of breath. How does it usually come on, and how can you tell what the reason is? Yeah, you're absolutely right. There are a lot of different reasons, and it's certainly one of the most common reasons that people come to see me in the in the emergency department. It's always in the top five. And like you said, the different the the you know the most common cause is everyone thinks of the lungs, which obviously is uh, is right up there because you know a problem with the lungs, which are the breathing center, uh, can certainly make you feel short of breath. So not getting enough oxygen for whatever reason, whether it be asthma or COPD, like you mentioned, or a blood clot in the lungs, or a cancer, or fluid in the lungs. But then there are, other, there are other causes as well, including cardiovascular reasons, such like I mentioned fluid in the lungs, which is usually a heart problem rather than a lung problem. Uh, if someone's very anemic or has low thyroid function or adrenal insufficiency, and there are also some uh, nerve problems as well, uh, such as ALS and myasthenia gravis, which can make people quite short of breath. And the, so it's a very, very uncomfortable feeling, you know, as people feel they just, it's an air hunger. People feel they just can't get enough air. And and the question is always, you know, is it something serious or not? And it always feels serious. And, and to be honest, you know, it always needs to be taken seriously. There are sometimes more benign uh, causes, including things like uh, psychiatric, psychological reasons, including panic attacks, which can very closely mimic heart attacks and very serious things. But you can never really say that until you've made sure that all, uh, that all the life-threatening causes are ruled out. It's, it's very interesting that you mentioned that uh, with my late mother-in-law. Mm. Um, we thought, and she was uh, very elderly, we thought she was having a, a heart condition. She would have, the, and then it turned out that it was panic attacks, and it turned out that those panic attacks were, a, a should have, we should have known it was a sign that she was getting Alzheimer's disease. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. And but the truth is, like you said, it's it's almost sometimes it's totally indistinguishable until you've actually done the tests to prove that it's not a heart attack. The symptoms can be very very similar, and especially you know if you're if you're someone older, if you have risk factors, diabetes, high blood pressure, you're a smoker, you have to take uh, you always have to rule out the life threatening thing first. Yeah, and and uh, again, the shortness of breath it it can mean that you're having a heart attack. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. You know, people think of. 
uh, chest pain. And even that is a bit of a misnomer because a lot of people, especially women, don't get pain. They might get chest discomfort or pressure or back pain or neck pain. But some people don't have any pain or discomfort, and they just feel short of breath. And that's how, they, uh, that's how their body interprets a heart attack. And so it, it needs to be taken seriously. Uh, and again, is, is there any way to distinguish um, while you're having these symptoms what it might be or how serious it is without you know, getting yourself to the emergency ward? Well, I mean, there's a couple of clues. The problem is, unless you have, uh, it's easy for us in the emergency department, you know, because we have access to everything. We have your heart rate, we have your blood pressure, we, ha- we can check your oxygen. You know, most people just don't have any, these are not uh, uh, very um, advanced machines, but most people don't have them in their homes. So, I mean, what you can do is, uh, number one, you can check your pulse. If you know how to check your pulse, you can feel it either in your neck or in your wrist. And if it's going very quickly, that's a sign. Now, again, that can happen with a panic attack as well. But, you know, it's still it can't be ignored regardless of what the cause is. And the other things I would say are, I mean, number one, if it's persistent and you just don't feel you're getting enough air and you're starting to get lightheaded, you have to, you basically have to call 911 or call, or call for help, someone to help you bring you to the hospital. And then other, the other thing that we look at is associated symptoms. So it's, it's frequent that if it is a heart problem, you'll have other symptoms as well. So you'll have some discomfort elsewhere. You'll have some lightheadedness, uh, often some nausea and vomiting as well. Um, and if it's worse when you exert yourself, so if you're a bit short of breath or you're okay when you're not doing anything, you're relaxing, but when you exert yourself a bit, then you start to get short of breath, that's, that's a quite a good clue that it's related to heart function because, you know, when you exert yourself, there's more strain on the heart, and oftentimes the way, and sometimes either the strain on the heart is being sensed as shortness of breath or you're getting some water in the lungs because the heart isn't pumping properly. So that, that's another good clue if it's worse when you exert yourself that it might be heart-related. Okay, uh, what about uh, the chronic things that can cause shortness of breath? Yes. Well, so there are a number of different things. And some, I mean, uh, you know, obviously some people who have had it for many years know what it is. And hopefully by the time it's chronic, people have visited a doctor so they get an idea of what's causing it. And there, and there are a number of them. I mean, some, uh, one that you mentioned off the top is COPD, which is chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, which includes chronic bronchitis and emphysema. And it's mo- most commonly from years of smoking, but it can be from exposure to other things like asbestos and whatnot. Um, and that's a chronic lung disease where the air transfer, the air exchange is just not as effective. And people, and people get short of breath either at rest or, or with minimal exertion. And there are, I mean, there's certainly treatments for it, but some people end up, uh, we all know or have seen people who, who need to be on oxygen all the time just because they're not able to extract enough oxygen from the usual air. Um, other causes include cardiac disease as well, as I mentioned, like uh, if you have water on the lungs, that can last for a long time. And then nerve, uh, another one that's, um, that we, we see less commonly but is certainly significant, are, well, anemia, although anemia can be reversed, uh, but nerve things such as Lou Gehrig's disease um, or uh, Guillain-Barré or myasthenia gravis, those are all nerve diseases where you just don't, your, your lungs and the diaphragm aren't strong enough to bring in the air. And then as a result of that, you become short of breath because your, your body senses when you don't have enough oxygen or when you have too much carbon dioxide, when you can't blow it off. And so if you're not strong enough, if the nerves aren't working, the muscles aren't working, then your body senses it and it, it gives you this feeling because it wants you to try to breathe harder. But the problem is, if you're not able to breathe harder, it's just a, it's a vicious circle. You feel worse and worse. 
Okay, Dr. Zach, we have to take a quick break. I'm going to give the numbers again. 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. I'm here with our house doctor, Zachary Levine. We're talking about shortness of breath, uh, but he will take your calls and questions on any medical issue or question that you might have. Again, 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-744-740. And we'll be back after this. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. I am on the line with our house doctor, Zachary Levine. The number's to call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-744-740. We're talking about shortness of breath. We're taking your calls actually on uh, whatever medical issue you would like to bring up. I've got Linda in Keswick. Hi, Linda. Hi, Libby. Hi, Dr. Zach. Hi. Um, I just received yesterday that I'm beginning stages of COPD, but I also have pneumonia, mm. and I'm... <laughs> Sorry to hear that. Yeah, so am I. Um, yeah. So what can I do? Uh, I, I, he's got me on uh, an antibiotic and prednisone, but I don't know what else to do. I'm trying to cough everything up, and yeah. Yeah, so Linda, thanks for your call. So so yeah, for the for the pneumonia, the real uh, thing to do is really the antibiotics. You know, unless there are there are such things as viral pneumonias, but the the majority of cases when you get diagnosed uh, are bacterial, and and you need to take the antibiotics. And there's not that much to do aside from the same things you should do for any infection, which are basically stay hydrated, uh, take it easy a bit, get enough sleep, um, and yeah, you you let your body sort of take care of the rest in terms of getting uh, getting uh, the the stuff up. In terms of the COPD, that's a that's a whole uh, sort of other kettle of fish, and and you know I mentioned earlier, you know, some people with COPD have chronic uh, shortness of breath and not and whatnot, but you know that's certainly not everyone. However, it does it does mean that y- it's worth uh, being more aware of your surroundings in terms of staying away if you can from smoke and uh, and very serious pollution if you can, and it's also still important to be to be active. You know, the more active you are physically the better because your body just gets more efficient at using uh, at using oxygen and at getting rid of carbon dioxide and so the the less active you are the less uh, the less uh, efficient the air exchange is so staying active is important as well as you know just uh, staying away from those things that irritate the lungs so like i mentioned smoke and pollution okay cuz like i'm getting i walk the dog a couple of times a day so Good. And Keswick's built on hills. Yeah. So that's yeah. great. So yeah, keep that up. Absolutely. Okay. All right. All right. I just wondered if there was anything else that I could do other than what I am doing at this point. It doesn't sound like anything. Hey, talk to your doctor if there's anything specific. And sometimes, you know, sometimes people with COPD, um, your doctor, or if you see a respirologist, sometimes there'll be a specific action plan. Sometimes people have a specific. Uh, specific medications that they take at the onset of when they start to get symptoms. Like I know some respirologists will prescribe uh, antibiotics and prednisone and or the puffers at the, when someone, uh, that someone can actually pick up at the pharmacy without seeing their doctor uh, once the symptoms come, comes on to kind of nip it in the bud beca- before it becomes very serious. But in terms of lifestyle stuff, it sounds like you're doing the right stuff, getting a lot of fresh air and staying active. 
Okay, perfect. Thank you both very much. Y'all have a good day. Okay, thank you for your call. Thank you. Bye-bye. So, uh, Zach, I meant to ask, uh, I know someone who is having a symptom of shortness of breath, and it's related to cancer treatment. He's on something pretty aggressive. Is that a common thing? It can be. Is it, now, is this a, uh, is it a chemotherapy agent, by the way? It's, it's an immunotherapy agent. Immunotherapy. So, yes. I mean, the, so the answer is yes. It definitely is a, a side effect of some uh, treatments. And, uh, and as you know, you know, some of these, these treatments are very, very powerful, and a lot of them have very strong side effects. It's important for this person to, uh, it's important that anyone who has shortness of breath, especially with cancer, bring it up with the doctor because, you know, obviously uh, we see it all the time, people with cancer with shortness of breath, especially lung cancer. Now, it can, it can be from, the, the thing is to keep in mind is it can be from uh, the treatments, but it can also be from progression of disease and something that, you know, we always need to keep in mind. Uh, in, when you have cancer, it increases your risk of blood clots as well. And that's another serious cause of shortness of breath, blood clots in the lungs, and that's something that is a different treatment. You have to treat it with blood thinners, and so if that's not thought of, then, then you know, it can cause some very serious sequelae. So it may well be. It's important that someone who's on that kind of treatment at least runs it by their doctor and says, and if the doctor says, yes, it's just from the treatment, then I guess, unfortunately, it's something they have to bear with. Uh, but it's important to rule out other stuff for sure. Yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting because uh, on top of everything else, it's uh, pretty scary. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's the thing. I mean, the, the shortness of breath is very scary, and it's, it's a warning sign of something. You know, it's a very good one. It's like pain is a warning sign that the body gives us. Shortness of breath is a warning sign as well. We're not getting enough oxygen, so something needs to be done about it. Um, and so it's, it's, a, it's something very difficult, and actually that shouldn't be ignored unless you've had very uh, specific, you know, you've been looked at very closely by your doctor, and he says, no, it's not dangerous. But uh, it's very difficult to just ignore that sort of thing. And uh, how common is COPD? I think it's getting more common. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head. I certainly, I mean, we certainly see it all the time uh, in our practice. And there's a, and there's a, a respiratory hospital near uh, that's associated where I work as well. And so it, it, it's very, very common. I mean, especially, like I mentioned, it's, it's still primarily associated with uh, cigarette smoking. However, it, it is associated with other things, including being exposed to different pollutants, including asbestos. And also there are some congenital reasons, just some ge- genetic reasons why some people develop COPD even without being exposed to anything. So it, it's very common, and it's something and, – and there are – uh, if, if people can Google it, of course, but I know there is a support. There's a Canadian COPD society uh, w- that can give people a lot of resources and support, and even just you know, even just to have a community is helpful, even if you don't use any of the specific resources. So if people are interested, I would just go online and look for that. Okay, uh, let's go to the phones. We have Doug in Selwyn. Hello, Doug. Let me just turn the radio down. I yeah. Um, question for yourself, uh, Libby. Okay. Yesterday's program. Yep. Near the latter part of it, a lady called in and, and mentioned that she had been misdiagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Correct. And as a result, she had lost uh, a lot of weight and so forth and so forth. And she said it instead of the the cancer, it was some other thing that. And I didn't quite catch what she said that she had. Uh, I, I don't think she uh, said what she had. I, do, I don't know what she had. 
but but I thought she said that it turned out to be, and and it wasn't something that I've. It wasn't a, a term, uh, uh, you know, that I've that I've heard regarding. Uh, Why are you worried that you have something like that? Well, um, several years ago, when when I say several, it's been four years. I had the. Uh, 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 Pancreas attack. Pancreatitis. Pancreatitis. And after that was cleared up, uh, they did uh, uh, down down my down my uh, down my throat. With, An endoscopy, uh, yes. Yeah, and then up the back door as well. Yep. And didn't find anything there. Then I had MRIs. Okay. And they said everything was fine, but in the meantime. Um, I can't eat any of the food that I used to eat. Like, uh, for an example, I, 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 I can't eat pizza. I can't eat, you know, uh, the spaghetti with the, you know, the sauce and all of that. It just, it just, I, I, I think I'd be sick to my stomach if I, if I did. Let's ask uh, Doctor Zach. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, Doug, you bring up a lot of uh, important topics. I mean, and, and one of which uh, you brought up at the beginning is, uh, well, from yesterday it sounds like is misdiagnosis and, and medical error, which are areas that I'm very interested in. But anyway, in terms of digestive problems, it sounds like you've certainly had the beginning of what you need. The endoscopy or gastroscopy and the colonoscopy are certainly the places to start. Uh, Doug, have you followed up? Uh, like, have you seen a gastroenterologist since then, if they don't find anything there, then certainly they would usually do further testing. Well, the the last thing I had was the MRIs. Oh, yeah. And they were apparently clean. They oh. couldn't find anything gallbladder-wise, anything, nothing in the, nothing in the gut area. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, um, I continue to lose weight, like over the last several years, Hmm. I've gone from maybe 180 down to maybe 135. Wow, wow. that's that's. Yeah, a... I just I can't eat anything that would put weight on me. Have you been tested for um, uh, uh, an ulcer, which is now called H. pylori, or just for acid reflux? I have. Well, not that I know of. I don't think I have. No. Hmm. No, that's a good. That's definitely a good idea. Often they will do it when they do the endoscopy. They can take biopsies or there's a blood test. But, that, yeah, that's definitely idea, that, an idea. Uh, I, I agree with you and Libya. I mean, that's a very significant amount of weight to lose, so you need to keep getting investigated until they figure it out. Yeah, like, <clears throat> excuse me, I wasn't overweight to begin with. Uh, well, at least maybe a couple pounds. I mean, I, I was uh, like 180 when it all began, and... Um, for almost six foot tall, I don't think that's too heavy. So, no. But uh, I'm I'm getting down to uh, I've got a closet full of clothes that I can't wear anymore. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, the tailor could fix that, but you really should be investigated uh, because uh, that sounds like a, a very dramatic weight loss. Yeah. yeah. Well, unfortunately. I, I, I'm I'm in an area where there's not a lot of help for this such thing, mm. and the the um, I always mispronounce it the gastroenterologist. Yeah, that 
I had been seeing, I, I hate to say it, but um, his his son stabbed him to death. Oh, my oh, goodness. No. Yeah, just just after Christmas. and Oh, dear. Um, now, in the meantime, there's another one here in Peterborough, but they've got a list, you know, as long as their arm yeah. to, to get in to see them. So, uh, um, Well, get on that list and uh, tell them that you're available if there's a cancellation at the last minute. Yeah, well, right, right now, <laughs> that list is probably about eight months long. <laughs> Well, and your family doctor, keep going back to your family doctor, and because uh, they can also quarterback and organize testing in the meantime in between. Yeah, uh, yeah. well, he's the one that's done the, uh, he's been the liaison between, the, you know, the uh, gastroenterologist and, and, uh, and myself, of course, but he himself doesn't have a clue. I mean, he... He's, Have you had any testing, uh, Doug, of, of stool? I mean, I'm just wondering, or blood tests to see if you're malabsorbed. Sometimes people can't absorb certain things, and so I, stuff kind of goes right through them. I, I suggested that to the gastroent or whatever, and <laughs> he, he kind of sloughed it off. Huh. And because I told him when I used the bathroom, mm-hmm. um, my, my stool floats, it doesn't think. Yeah. And when I've read different things, it says, you know, if it floats, it means it's it's got fat in it and it's not being absorbed. And um, is that correct? Well, it can, yeah. Certainly, if there's if there's what looks like fatty stuff that, uh, at the surface, there can be some extra fat in there. And that, yeah, it can be. It's not like a hard and fast rule, but it's certainly one clue that you may be malabsorbing somewhat. Yeah. Yeah. No, he he, you know, he turned the. He turned the dial to off on, on, on that subject. Okay, well, um, you get in line for a specialist and uh, get that investigated. Okay. Uh, thanks, Doug, for your call. And just one quick uh, we, thing. We've really got to go. We have oh. a few minutes left, and okay. we have other callers waiting. I'm sorry. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Barb in Waterloo. Hi, Barb. Hello. Hello. Yes. I want to know. I wanted to know if Dr. Zach could tell me what the symptoms are of uh, Parkinson's and oh, what Parkinson's, tests yeah. they could do for it. Yeah, absolutely. So, so the the most common symptoms of Parkinson, the most that everyone knows, is a resting tremor. So basically, shaking, uh, shaking of the the hands. Uh, most commonly, the hands, but it can be anywhere. It can be at the head as well. It can be at the feet, and it's resting. Uh, sorry, it's it's uh, yeah, it's resting. So when you're not uh, when you're not moving, um, as opposed to a, an intention tremor where you're trying to do something. Other symptoms that people can have is uh, changes in their writing. So you, people they call it micrographia. So people write very very small, uh, a shuffling gait. So basically, uh, you, people have more difficulty lifting lifting their legs and having a, a normal walking gait. So they shuffle along and just generally stiffness is another symptom. There's no test, like there's no blood test or MRI. It's really a, a diagnosis that is made clinically on, on physical examination, by, ideally by a neurologist, by a specialist in moving, movement disorders just because, uh, because it's not obvious. And there are a number of things that can cause all those different symptoms, especially uh, tremors, which can sometimes be totally benign. But those are the, those are the hallmark symptoms of Parkinson's disease. Okay. Thank you all very right. much. My pleasure. Okay, um, we are almost 
out of time. Uh, we can take one more call, but really quickly, less than a minute, Alice in Peterborough. I'm reacting to uh, the caller, that gentleman who was having difficulty swallowing. Okay. I had the same symptoms, and I was discovered I had a tumor in my esophagus, and wow. they removed this esophagus. Yeah. And Sorry to hear that. And made me, took half my stomach to make another esophagus. I'm wow. doing pretty well. Good. I'm cancer free for about seven years. Excellent. Oh, good for you, Alice. And so I was, I was just, that gentleman, if he still listening, I, I saw Dr. Dickey, and he diagnosed me before he did any tests. He wow. basically told me what was wrong. And good. I just had surgery. I didn't have any treatment because I preferred uh-huh. not the treatments, and everything worked out well. Well, so I have a question, though, for you, the doctor. Um, um, I have a side effect I have, I think, from that surgery is I have a lot of mucus. Okay, um, Alice, um, we're going to have to go, Zach, if you can answer in 30 seconds. Okay, so two things quickly. So, yeah, I mean, some people do have that side effect. Some people do have a bit of a reduced uh, digestive time, and so things can pass through them very quickly as well. There's not a whole heck of a lot. I would talk to the, uh, ideally, the thoracic surgeon who did it, because sometimes they have some suggestions, but it is is a recognized side effect. And, and, uh, you know, the, the endoscopy, it sounds like, that uh, Doug at least did have the scope. Usually the endoscopy, the gastroscopy, is the test to have to make sure that your esophagus and your stomach are okay. Okay. Dr. Zach, thank you for all of that today. Thanks. Uh, Thanks, That's it. You're welcome. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.